This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good morning, and welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. My name is Holly Kingman, and I am your host of The Morning Break. Today, we are talking about financial education in the classroom. Do you teach it? What should you teach? Is it worth teaching? Tune in, talk it out. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. It is, well, I have to say, it's thrilling to be back with Teachers Talk Radio after a short little break um, away from bringing you all these important live conversations. So this week we have a really important, interesting conversation that's going to be more relevant than ever as we head into this cost of living crisis looming over our heads as we start creeping towards the autumn term and then, of course, the winter. Now, do you teach financial education in your school? How is it taught? I know that it's usually taught, it's woven into mathematics and PSHE um, in Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2. But what about if you're a secondary teacher? Are you teaching that in your classrooms? Are you teaching it as a, as a topic or a module? Or is it something that you personally try to weave into the conversations that you're having with the young people you work with? Well, today we are talking to Sarah Peretta, who is the Propositions, Insights and External Engagement Director at the Money and Pension Service. Uh, she'll be talking to us about the resources and projects that they offer and what their evidence and research has found and how that's fed into the resources and projects that they offer to schools. And we'll also be getting some advice from Dr. Nikki Ramskill, who you may know as the female money doctor, as seen on Channel 4. And she'll be giving us some general advice around um, the cost of living crisis. So not just for a teacher, but for parents, teachers, families um, and anybody who is concerned about what is fast approaching us. So without further ado, let's speak to Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm really grateful to have you on Teachers Talk Radio today because this is a really, really important conversation um, for teachers, families, children. Um, financial education is going to be the bedrock of young people having successful adult lives. Um, so why don't you start by telling us about the Money and Pension Service and your role within the organisation? Sure. So the Money and Pension Service is an organisation set up to deliver money guidance, pensions guidance um, and help people find debt advice and basically help them right through from childhood through to old age with any of their money concerns. Uh, we also have a statutory duty to coordinate a UK strategy for financial wellbeing. An important part of that is a pillar around children and young people's financial education. OK, and um, and what's your role within the organization yeah, so, as a whole 
So I'm an executive director of the Money and Pension Service, and um, I have responsibility overall for the UK strategy, um, for money, debt and pensions policy. Um, we've got a network of partnerships managers all across the UK that go out and, and engage with large and small businesses, local councils, etc. on the ground, helping them um, put plans in place around financial well-being. And then also we have a brilliant children's, children and young people's team um, that work on evidence and insights into how children and young people learn about money um, and then we disseminate that information and we work with banks and we work with um, the devolved administrations and we work with the department for education and others so anybody that's really interested in improving financial education we're here as a coordinator of those organizations wonderful um so i mean it's great to hear that you've got that support and that you know that you're working with young people and groups and schools and department for education um why did you set or why was that arm of the money and pension service set up and, and how did you discover that there was a need for this so i think we, we recognize as a nation we're not brilliant at managing our money and we're not great at talking about money either um so i think government recognized that there was a real need to make sure there was sort of one organization that was really thinking about financial education and coordinating all the other organizations that do either delivery work or they might kind of test and innovate what works as well so there just wasn't that one central organization that was bringing all of that together so um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a really important role because around seven million pounds, for example, is invested by the banks into financial education. Okay, and that's so, I didn't realise that, and that's a that's a large amount. Which yeah, sounds yeah, to me like, like a large amount. No, I mean it, it's it's not enough. We would say <laughs> as in, you know, at, at a UK level that that still doesn't quite get us where we need to. But no, it is a significant contribution. But to give an example, there you might have Barclays over here working on a program with sixteen to seventeen year olds. You might have Lloyd's over here doing something else. Our role is then we we chaired actually over the last couple of years a group where we brought all of those banks together and said how can we make sure that we don't have any gaps um you know for example that we're not missing out everyone's focusing on teenagers and everyone's forgotten about seven-year-olds for example and that also we didn't have geographical gaps either um, and then we also worked with the banks to say would it be good to have a kind of set of outcomes that all of those programs are driving towards so there's a shared set of outcomes so we worked through that with all of the banks and they all signed up to a common out outcomes framework so that's kind of how we work really is saying right there's all these people doing good things but we need to make sure it's delivering the absolute maximum value um, and then we're not leaving anyone behind as well great it, it the, the system kind of reminds me a little bit of it like a strange parallel to like the national curriculum so you know we've got all teachers at all schools doing great things but we all still have these sort of shared goals and, and this is what we're all we're all aiming for so uh, it's great to know that there is a, a system in place where all of these organizations are talking and communicating um so, so what specific support does the money and pension service offer to schools do you, i'm sure i read somewhere you had resources we do, we do. So, I mean, we we see financial education and our evidence tells us that children and young people learn from their parents, um, from community organisations and in community settings. Um, and they also, of course, learn in schools as well. So we really see the way that we need to improve financial education in the UK is, is to work with all three. Yeah. 
Um, so in terms of what we do specifically with teachers, um, so we've been talking to DFE about developing a set of webinars to help um, teachers learn more about how to teach financial education. Um, as you mentioned, we, we have something called the Quality Mark, which is where we look at all of the resources that are produced around financial education and we quality assess those and, and quality mark them. And that means that teachers can go to one place and say, OK, these have been looked at. They're quality resources that you can draw down upon. And then um, you may have heard, actually, Martin Lewis um, a couple of years ago decided that he was going to produce a textbook. Um, <laughs> um, and we helped him with the distribution of that. But more importantly, we're helping him with the evaluation of that as well. So we're doing a piece of work at the moment saying in each of the nations saying how well is that textbook book landing and how well is it being used? So we work in all different ways. And um, do you yeah. work with teachers at all on any of these projects? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our, we're not a direct delivery organisation at scale, um, but we test in intervention. So, um, yes, we absolutely do. But our, our role really is to say, OK, what essentially what works to improve financial education? And we will then test different projects. So it might be um, we've done work, for example, trying to understand how four to six year olds learn. Um, we've done work on um, really targeting more vulnerable young people. And in those circumstances, when we're doing those innovation and testing, yes, we do. We, we put those out live, live trials, as it were. Um, and we do work with teachers in that in that context. And we've also done things in the past. Um, we had a big conference with hundreds and hundreds of teachers along and Martin Lewis is involved in that one as well. Um, and that was really about trying to raise awareness of why financial education is really important and get people enthusiastic about it, because you'll know from your work, it's one thing having something on the curriculum, but it's something else then to get people to a place where they feel confident to teach it and they really are enthusiastic about it as well. And one kind of really great moment that I would never forget from a few years ago was um, the chair of the head teachers association was on stage with me and it was a kind of q a type format and she said god i feel like i've been hit by a bus today because she said i just saw financial education as a kind of subject sort of that i needed to get my head around and she said but i've realized it's much more than that because you know the parent at the school gate that um is struggling with money or the families i'm supporting who you know can't afford to feed their children or whatever she was saying this is part of that like this is part of the solution for that it's much broader than you know, just another subject I need to teach. So I thought that was a really great moment, actually, of for her realising, and many schools, you know, are in this place of realising this is more than just a subject. This is a kind of whole community um, piece and a real enabler for communities and families as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the impact that 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 financial education can have on a school community and a town and and generations is, I suppose, you can't really, you can't imagine the 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 scale of such impact really. no, it's not just maths is it I mean to, in in the intro I was talking about uh, the only financial education that I can recall from school was doing a GCSE coursework um, in maths on um, the depreciation of the, a car's value <laughs> and you know would it be a good investment or not different cars that depreciated at different rates and I don't remember doing anything else in any way connected to financial no. education I'm sure it was there and I probably just can't remember it no um, but you're right there because it's not I mean numeracy is part of financial education but um, I ran a I used to run a big program all across the UK where we gave um, community groups 300 pounds to run a financial education intervention in their community and I'll never forget um, the winner of we, we had a kind of national competition in each nation and the winner of the Welsh one was this lovely bubbly girl and she she hadn't passed any GCSEs and she was like 
I can't even do maths and I'm like I'm like a finance <laughs> genius now she's she so proud of herself because she never felt like she could do maths at school and she was teaching other people how to be savvy shoppers because what she was learning was you know where product placement is in supermarkets and how to compare buy one get one free deals and you know navigating the world and making really good choices about money but it wasn't you know she she didn't she felt like she'd overcome this barrier around maths because she was actually using real-time numeracy but it was in a completely different context for her and she just felt like she'd kind of broken through so i'll never forget her she was just so happy about what she'd achieved through wonderful yeah through financial education yeah and i suppose it's that um you know for the the students as much as teachers parents anyone really it's maybe recognizing that financial education is more than just numeracy um it's it's a way of approaching your life and your and your money not just numbers um and it's a similar thing for for english for my subject that you know it's it's not just being able to write essays it's being able to write a letter to the doctor and to you know read a a letter from the police and and things like that so it's real life isn't it yeah education yeah and the other thing that we always say as well is you know one of the biggest barriers and something we talk about we run something called talk money week in november which is an opportunity to kind of really focus on this but the reason it's called talk money week is one of the barriers is because we're so emotional about money it's such an emotional connection with money and it's private as well people are very private private about it yeah we did some research a while ago that said you know all the things people are more likely to talk about than money um and you can guess what some of those are but um but yeah, so it's overcoming those, the stigma, the shame, our kind of emotional responses to money, because a lot of that is kind of embedded from the way we've been brought up around money. So if you've brought up in a household where, you know, even if you have very little, you're a saving family and you don't get things on credit, you'll have an emotional connection to that feeling of security around saving, for example, whereas you might have someone in another family where, oh, you know, live for today, get it on credit. And that stuff's really ingrained then in in the way that you think and feel about money. Um, And that isn't about numeracy at all. You know, actually, it's about where you might have some um, sort of negative or bad habits around money. It's sort of saying, how can I unpick that? And we say to parents, and I I do this, I have a six and eight year old, and I definitely do this with them now, um, is part of it is just vocalising all those millions of decisions you're making all the time about money right so if you're walking around the supermarket and you think crikey you know that fruit is really expensive I'm not going to buy that oh look you know apples are really cheap at the moment I'm going to buy those saying that out loud so that your kids can hear that you are thinking about this stuff all the time and that you're making these choices or you know I, I came up to London last night with my kids on the train and I hadn't got food for them and I was thinking what's the cheapest way I can quickly get some food into them and it's talking to them about that like we know we're not going to go to Pret or whatever coming off the train uh, we're going to go to this the Tesco around the corner and we're going to get some food and we, you know it's, it's talking about that. yeah a lot of those decisions will get made and children won't even realize that parent has just gone through that whole thought process so again not about numeracy you can talk to a four-year-old about you know this is cheaper or this is more expensive and but so, what does that mean like, yeah what is the value so we're of not going to do this today or you know we're not having an ice cream today because ice creams actually cost a lot of money now and we all had ice creams yesterday so we're not having you know it's just those kind of yeah kind of conversations and obviously in the context of teachers those kind of themes about you know saving and choices around money are something you can have with really young kids you know from four years old and, and up really it is how do they feel about money what would it feel like if they had saved some money and what they spend it on it's just sort of introducing those subjects can be 
just sort of a fun conversation that can be fitted around other subjects, as you say, even yeah. English. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember seeing um, on social media, it was last summer holidays, um, but one mum had put out um, a basket of snacks, one basket for each child, and it had, I don't know, one packet of crisps, two pieces of fruit, you know, a, a couple of biscuits, um, and they had that was their snacks for the whole day because as you as you'll know having a six <laughs> and an eight-year-old <laughs> mine are uh, almost five almost three and, and one and they just want to eat snacks all day don't they um and she was trying to teach them the value that that the cost of constantly eating snacks and they can't just have what they want all day long even though she'd love to give it to them and they actually had to ration out their own snacks for the for the day and I thought that was a really clever way of saying this is what you've got this is how long it has to last and you need to make that decision about when you're going to to, to use these resources and I, su I suppose that the the food and the snacks are, are like money aren't they they're, they're resources they're, absolutely you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, I went to a project a few years ago. So we used to run a thing, uh, uh, What Works Fund, which was enabled different organisations to test projects. And one of the projects was working with, um, in a really deprived community with mums, sort of mums teaching mums about money. Um, and I went along to a session where they were kind of sharing tips and showing how they, exactly that. So one family, um, they had a payment meter for energy, um, and they put that they had put the kids in charge of that because what they were finding was the kids were having long showers, putting the heating on, then leaving the windows open. And these were families that like really, really on low incomes. And then obviously, when you're paying for the energy meter as well, that's quite an expensive way to buy it. So they'd said to the kids, right, you're in charge. This is how much we have for the week for energy. And if you use it too quickly, it's gone. And that transformed the kids' behavior because, of course, you know, it got to Wednesday. <laughs> They'd had their long showers, <laughs> they'd left the windows open and there was no more money for energy for the rest of the week. So it, it we do, you know, our, our research shows, for example, that giving pocket money regularly is really important and letting children make decisions about spending, including sometimes making bad decisions about spending yep. or buying something that, you know, they've blown it all on something that only lasts five minutes or it breaks or whatever. And I've seen this in my own kid, that feeling of regret that actually you wish you'd spent it on something better. That's... Mm learning but for families that can't afford to give pocket money that kind of experiential thing of right you're in charge of the weekly shop or you're in charge of the energy meter if the kids are a bit older um can get the same results as well from an evidence basis yeah i mean there's loads of clever little ways that that you can work it in and um i i, I recently posted um i did a blog post about how we can keep children's brains you know juiced up during the summer holidays how we can keep them still learning even if they don't feel like they're learning and um one parent commented that they were going on a caravan holiday for a few days and they'd given their son 11 so I'd say probably old enough to get this right, otherwise it could spoil the holiday. They'd given him £100 to um, plan out the food for four nights for, for the family um, and plan out the recipes, the cost. Um, and then he had to make a decision whether he wanted to have two nights with like a really big special meal um, and then two nights where they'd have, you know, probably some pasta or something a bit simpler um, as she said I really I really hope that he could manage his money well at 11 um, to not spoil the family yeah, get fed. <laughs> it was a bit of a risk um, but that's you know things like that are a great way aren't they of um, getting children to, to think in that way and I suppose the same thing could be applied to the classroom to schools um, I know forms sometimes they all chip in together for a, a teacher's Christmas present or um, 
if they they might have a small budget to decorate their form room um thinking about how they use resources yeah or a school trip as well and a school trip yeah. another example of you know actually is there a really cheap way to feed everyone on that school trip if people club together or you know it, and it's the trade-offs as well and it you know it with really young children we're with the evidence there was quite a big evidence gap around four to six year olds but yet we know that that age group is that age is really important to form habits so we've been doing some research into that age group and have found that kind of storytelling and, and some of the concepts around money even if it's not about money are really important so things like you know a lot of schools do with with sort of primary age children that if they do lots of good stuff they get a treat you know okay like yeah movie day or whatever movie afternoon so I think even that that kind of theme around saving up for something and saying okay well you could we've got this many tokens you could either spend it all this week or if you saved up for four weeks you could do something even better that's not necessarily a, a financial transaction but it is that sort of deferred gratification and saving up it it's the, still the same theme so that's yeah. what of exploring with younger children is actually it doesn't need to be explicitly about money but some of those themes around saving spending those are, you can still introduce those at a really early age yeah and I suppose the, the sooner that you know once they you start introducing that at least you're not putting it off until they're they're a lot older what would you say is the the age that those conversations need to start moving from being like about delayed gratification or um sort of rationing supplies and financial financial resources and things what sort of age do those conversations need to then actually become about um money saving credit yeah. interest yeah so i mean i think we've there's a we've worked with all of the main education financial education charities to come up with an outcomes framework that's actually broken down by age and that's accessible on our website so that's quite good to look at because it shows you what what you should be doing at different ages you know when you should be thinking of introducing coins and notes for example um but a kind of key headline for us is that uh savings habits and attitudes start to form pre-seven so you really want to introduce it sort of early and start those conversations about money and trade-offs early um, and then you can start to kind of introduce deeper and deeper learning as you go through and obviously with 16 to 18 year olds you're going to be talking about scams and access to credit and you know they're right on the cusp of being able to access credit for example so and, and thinking about bills and prioritizing bills at that age group but the outcomes framework is quite good because it does give you that you know I'm sure most teachers will be um, kind of have worked with outcomes framework in other yeah. subjects but that that is really good because it kind of builds it up I mean I think the big challenge that we've all faced in the last decade really and I've been working on this for longer than a decade is obviously the digital space because you know back when we were learning about money we had our jam jars with our coins and notes and we had, you know, maybe we got pocket money from our gran or whatever or you might get given a fiver because you're going on holiday um probably not a fiver in those days maybe a pound a pound but, yeah so um introducing digital learning is is really interesting so for, for my kid with my kids for example um and i've blogged about this a few times what i did was I felt they needed the tangible side of money, but I don't carry money. In fact, I'm one of these people that just takes my phone. I don't even take Same, yeah. Um, so what I did was I, I gave them money at home and they went in their jam jar. And then when we were out and about, if they wanted to buy something, I would use my phone, but they had to pay me back when we got home, which meant I always had more coins to give them because that was the other problem I struggled with initially is you're trying to give your kids a pound a week. Well, who the heck's got a pound lying around at home? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so that works but I've actually now so my son is eight and daughter is six as I mentioned 
I've now actually moved across to try some of these pocket money apps. So there's a few of those, Go Henry, Rooster, yeah. paid for ones. And then some of the banks, um, I think Starling Bank, they offer some functionality like that for free as well. So there are free and paid for options. But I'm, I'm working through some of those at the moment. Um, and I've just started that in the last couple of months and that's working quite well. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying Rooster this month. I'm going to try them all. Um, and with Rooster, so I took my son's jam jar, which had like 30 quid in it that he'd been saving up. And I said, right, I'm going to take that money now. And then it's all it's all going to be in my phone, essentially. So if you want to spend it, you tell me and then I'll take it off your total. So I put 30 pounds on your phone account. And then each time you spend it, it will come off. And he's like, no, 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 you've you've taken my money. <laughs> like, I think it's really hard to get that concept, even though it's I'm abstract, preparing. isn't it? That yeah, is, yeah. yeah. And he now gets it. But it just took a bit of a transition. So I think that's the age sort of eight a lot of those apps actually are kind of they specifically say they're for eight plus that's when you can start to move into sort of digital transactions um yeah. obviously a little bit older again kids can get their own bank card and prepaid cards and things like that so i think it's just that sliding scale of building up the skills and the knowledge and the savings habit and all of those other things right from four and then you start to introduce more sort of complex financial products as it were as they get older and older yeah um so, I mean, you, you spoke about outcomes. Um, we've, we've spoken about outcomes quite a bit, but yeah. what do you, from the programs that you're working on and, and with at the moment, what what are you hoping to achieve from those programs and, and, and how important are the outcomes? I think they, they are really important. I mean, we, we're looking with financial education, even through into adulthood, you're looking for kind of confidence, skills and motivation around financial education. Um, and that's what we take through into adulthood. So this, we've been talking a lot really about the skills bit and a bit around the confidence, but it also has to be the motivation as well. So it's introducing all of those th those three areas so that people moving into adulthood, um, they want to be good at managing their money. They don't think it's an uncool thing to be good with money. Um, they've got the skills, they understand the products, you know, this is a very, when they're going in at kind of 16, 18, it's a very complex financial landscape. And, you know, ideally, even from 18, you might have an 18 year old who is getting their first job and in, in, in you know, they might start to think about a pension even at that age, or their employer might start to think about that for them. Um, so yeah, the, the outcomes framework sort of builds all of that up. So at the very early stage, it's kind of understanding the value of notes and coins and understanding the difference between saving and spending at the next age group it might be things like um understanding the difference between needs and wants that's quite a good thing for i think like eight to mid-teens is do i need this thing or do i want this thing and that's a really good thing to get kids very engaged with because in a classroom environment if you yeah. put like 20 things up and said which of these things do you need and which of these do you not do you want and one of those was like new trainers for example you might get <laughs> healthy debate about whether that's a need or a want yeah but I think their their opinions might differ from adults exactly yeah exactly but that's part of it because yeah you know we, we all know this as adults don't we where you might have somebody that's you know renting a small property but I've got a really amazing car and then you might have someone that's saved for a deposit and has a really rubbish car and we all you know you look around your the people that you know and you think how have they got that but not got that and you know it's because we all we all make such different decisions around money and there isn't a right or a wrong answer necessarily. I mean, there sometimes is a very wrong answer, um, but there isn't one right answer. It's um, complex, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's really know. complex. And it's also linked to um, status. And as we talked about before, stigma as well. So I, I did a bit of work um, six, well, probably about a year ago now, actually. And it was looking at the intersectionality between 
money and mental health um but in diverse communities so we had all different leaders of different communities talking about how you know for example there's additional stigma so for example one group was representing the asian community saying there's a, there's additional stigma of admitting money worries and there are certain festivals and things where you know displays of wealth are kind of built into that festival mm -hmm. so you know something like diwali or whatever um and so you've got all of those layers as well whereas within your community or even within your family there might be expectations around money and status and wealth and you know the emotional side of money just cannot be underestimated even in the classroom you know there will be kids at four five six that will already have some of that embedded just from the conversations at home around money and mm. um, all of those topics are really good to try and unpick lovely and um how can teachers and schools get in touch with um with you about the outcomes framework or any resources or projects that you might have that could help them facilitate good financial education in the classroom yeah so go on to the money and pension service website and there's a, there's a specific area for teachers there um and you can access our evidence base um and also the quality marked resources that we talked about as well um so all of that information is is there and the outcomes framework that we talked about too excellent lovely sarah thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience with us um, it's been really useful and, and helpful i'm sure so thank you very much great thank you excellent okay um thank you and sorry for the technical mess oh sorry um if you had any technical problems during um that interview so that was Sarah Peretta with her fabulous advice and, and, and all of that research-based um, knowledge they have around the best ways that we can uh, introduce financial concepts um, when we are delivering financial education in the classroom. Right, we are just about to go off to the news. And after the news, we are going to speak to uh, Dr. Nikki Ramskill who is also known as the female money doctor and she's got some really good advice for parents teachers uh, really for anybody that is um, thinking ahead that there may be a struggle or, or are struggling at the moment amidst this um, cost of living crisis <laughs> This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm starting a series on home connection speed and getting the best performance. Everybody wants the best performance for their devices at home, with more and more things needing the internet or a home network connection to provide interactivity and additional functionality, ensuring you can get a good connection is essential. Most people use Wi-Fi as their home setup, so I'll start with this and also try and explain basically how a home network works. 
First, let's understand what devices are doing when you add them to your Wi-Fi network. Wireless fidelity, or Wi-Fi as it's commonly known, is a high-frequency signal that's being invisibly transmitted around your home. If you have access to the signal, you can send and receive data. This is what your phone, laptop, tablets, internet-enabled TV, wireless alarms, even some door locks and fridges are connecting through to communicate and most of the time use the internet to add functionality to your ever-growing smart home. The more devices you have, the more demand is placed on your network to transmit data. Comparing your home network to the network of corridors in your school and throwing in some geeky tech words, bandwidth is the size of the corridor and dictates how much traffic or people that can be handled. Classrooms are the devices and the staff and pupils are the data the devices need. Using the school as a physical example of a network, during lesson time when everybody's in place, it's easy to travel around the network of corridors and people or data can travel at normal walking speed or faster if you're feeling the need to. On lesson change or at break time, lots of people need to be somewhere else. Pupils need to walk slower, follow rules such as walking on a certain side or in a certain direction, doorways create queues and the journey from A to B during this time can take considerably longer. This is due to the physical constraints of the corridor. It cannot get any bigger, so people need to move slower. Comparing this to your home network, bandwidth is the amount of data that can be sent at a given time. It's measured in bits per second, a bit being a one or a zero. That's binary, the computer's language. So a one megabit bandwidth means one million ones and zeros can be transmitted in a second. If you decide to look up your Wi-Fi speed, you'll find some really interesting facts, but also risk being sent to sleep. A modern Wi-Fi network on paper is capable of transmitting 1,300 megabits per second. That's 1 billion 300 million ones and zeros every second. Oh wow. There are, however, loads of factors to consider, the main one being the number of devices sharing the bandwidth at a given time. Over this series, I'll be looking at what you can do to help you get the best performance from your home network. For now, I hope you're beginning to understand what's happening on your home network and why at busy times it can slow down. Today's takeaway tip is if you need good performance, then make sure other devices are not reducing the bandwidth that you are receiving. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Hello, welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. So a really interesting conversation with Sarah Peretta from the Money and Pension Service in the first half of today's show. Um, and now we've got quite a celebrity guest, actually. Uh, we've got Dr. Nikki Ramskill, who is better known as the female money doctor. And um, she's joined us to give us some really useful information in uh, these challenging times. 
and Dr. Nikki joins me now. Um, Dr. Nikki, thank you so much for uh, coming to join us on Teachers Talk Radio today for uh, what I keep telling everybody is a really, really important um, uh, conversation that, that we need to be having. So um, why don't you start by telling us about how you became a wealth expert and, um, and, and who you are as the female money doctor? <laughs> so thank you for having me. Um, Pleasure. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Um, going from medical doctor to money coach, money expert. Um, but there is a method to my madness. So when I turned 30, I had a bit of a early midlife crisis, shall we say, and um, literally burnt out from my career at the time, which was in obstetrics and gynecology in a hospital. And I had about 18 months out. So I was just locoming, kind of going from job to job had some time out to travel which was amazing but while I was away could see the impact that not working was having on my money it's almost like the blinkers came off and I had time to sit and analyze how much debt I was in and, and what was going on and I had this horrible realization that I was in so much debt I was in five figures worth of debt six figures if you include my student loans as well and I, I just couldn't believe I was in that situation I was a professional woman you know like what I, I looked like I had it all together so when I went back home again, I started working on my own money. So money mindset, looking at my savings, looking at my investments, how to start doing all of those things. And when I went back to work properly to train as a GP this time, I realized that loads of patients, loads of colleagues had very similar problems. They just weren't talking about it, and it was, but it was coming out in their medical problems. It was coming out in their stress, um, time off, you know, getting burnt out from work because you're having to work so many hours to make ends meet. So I started writing about what I was experiencing as the female money doctor and a blog. Um, and then somebody said, oh, actually, you'd make a really good coach because you're a GP. Why don't you apply your skills to, to this? So trained as a, a money coach and women is the area that I like to focus on because that's, well, that's the area that I came from. I, I had women's health was something that I really was interested in. So that's basically it in a nutshell. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting that you should say that about everyone um, going through those same things but not sharing about it and Sarah was just talking about like the stigma attached to to debt and money money worries and money problems mm. and and that mm. one of the, the the biggest things that holds us back from learning about you know about money is the embarrassment of talking about how much debt we have or you know that's yeah. it's it historically it's very private isn't it people don't talk don't tell people what their salary is or how much they owe mm. um so I think this it seems to be a recurring theme but maybe it's something that <laughs> people are starting to overcome I don't know so do you do you think there's an issue around how little financial education adults have had up until their, the, mm. the point of being in their their young mid adulthood do you think it's an yeah issue? I mean if you oh, oh yeah it's a massive issue absolutely massive issue I mean if you look at um sites like TikTok you can see that the conversations are happening amongst the younger generations and some of the older generations as well but the problem is is the older you get the harder and harder it is to correct the problems that you've made as a youngster because you didn't understand what you were doing at the time case in point I got into a lot of debt in my 20s and it took me a long time it took me seven years to get to the point where I could actually buy a house with my husband because I didn't have the credit score and everything in place in order to be able to do that so it took me a long time to fix that problem so 
I think, yeah, there is an issue with adults not understanding about their finances. And you can see it with with the level of panic that's going on around the cost of living crisis. Pe people's brain is just switching off because the panic is just setting in. That's not going to help you problem solve. It's not going to help you to learn the things that you need to do. And it's very easy to blame everybody else. But actually, there's so many things that we can do ourselves in order to, to fix our problems. It, we just have to go out there and ask or find a book to read or speak to a coach or, or whatever it is and, and actually take the plunge to do that. Um, and but yeah, I mean, ideally, it would be lovely if more and more of us as, as you know, a younger age can actually start learning about our money. But I think it starts with us. And I think as women, because we are the main caregivers of our kids and that, that generation, I think we've got a lot of responsibility to educate ourselves so we can educate our kids as well. Yeah. And, you know, it. it how can parents and teachers best encourage those good money habits in children? Have you got any tips, any any actual tangible things that, yeah. that teachers and parents can actually do with with the younger kids? Because Sarah was talking about like you, you can start having conversations about coins and notes um, and, and yeah. rewards when children are sort of four to six, and maybe eight might be the sort of time to start introducing more specific concepts to do with um financial yeah. education but but we've, we've got this sort of time scale of when we should be talking about things but what should we actually be doing with them yeah so a lot of our money mindset is embedded when we are young so but under the age of seven a lot of the things that we learn about money and how you manage money and how money is supposed to be in the world is ingrained from us at that age and that's really scary so the biggest thing that parents can do is to show their kids what they are doing with their finances and not to hide it. You know, we said right at the beginning about people don't like talking about it. I mean, I'm not saying scare your kids with, oh my God, we've got so much debt and we're going bankrupt and uh, don't scare them, but <laughs> yeah. show them, you know, show them the, the budget you're setting aside, show them how you're paying your mortgage, show them, I mean, okay, a really young child might not understand all of that but you can show them okay mummy's going to the shops and we're buying these in the shops and this is how much we've got to spend let's start adding it up as we go along and actually being really open about it I mean my I, my money management is very different to my husband's money management and his mum from a very young age said if you want trainers I will give you money for this type of trainer but if you want more you have to go out and you have to earn that money or you have to figure out a way to earn that money and maybe this is not something you could do now as a kid but he used to sell cigarettes so he'd go and buy he'd go and buy packets of cigarettes and sell them individually to kids at his school now okay a little bit ingenious there probably not something I would encourage right now but you know it's something his mum taught him to do very early on and he he has never gone above his means he's always got savings he's never gone into debt and that's just something he learned from his mum as he grew up his brother on the other hand didn't tend to listen to that and spent more time with his dad who was very good at spending rubbish at saving so what kind of habit has he grown up with that spending is it's just like water just spend the money don't don't worry about it there'll be more coming um and as a result he hasn't got the money all the time to do the things that he wants to do so it doesn't always work like that but i think it's really interesting how our upbringing does make a difference so to be practical about it yes we need to understand the coins and all that kind of stuff but i think actually showing your kids what you're doing talking about it around the dinner table talking about earnings and finances you know if you want a particular lifestyle how much money have you got to earn okay it's all very well and good that you want to do x y and z kind of job but how are you going to make the money to have the lifestyle you want it's 
we're not having these conversations out in the open in the UK and more and more of this needs to happen. So I, I don't know if that helps answer the question, but I think for me, it's around the mindset and, and showing. Yeah, I think the, the, what seems to be, be apparent speaking to you and Sarah and, and having sort of done some research, talking to people before the show, is that um, it's the mindset of having good money management is so important. And like you said mm. about your husband, like how his mum was with money, how his dad was with money. Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of um, adults and teachers and parents and so on, um, we know that we want to be good with money. We know that we want to save and we want to sort of pay off all our debts and, and we want to make the best decisions around which credit cards we may or, or may not choose to have. Um, we, we want to know about how interest rates work and getting good deals for our mortgage. But we don't know where to find that information. I don't know mm. where to find that information. I'm dreadful. I'm I'm coasting <laughs> along, hoping that I sort of making enough good decisions that you know we won't ever go under. Um, so I think we're we're beginning to get the right mindset, but we don't really know where to find the mm. right information. I mean, where could where could teachers and parents go if they want to start getting better at understanding these quite abstract com concepts? Really, for for the those of us that are not. Mathemat mathematically minded mm, yeah I'm, I'm not math mathematically minded either and I'm not from a finance background so I've the way that I started doing it is by reading books and following along other people that have already done the things that I want to do so I followed um for mindset people like Denise Duffield Thomas um for money management people like um uh, Anne Wilson um, I also read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for example. I mean, that blew my mind when I read that book. That was It was such a game changer in terms of how we manage our finances. Of course, you've got sites like um, The Money Saving Expert. So he, he talks about a lot of the deals that you can make on things, um, credit cards and, and that sort of stuff. But I, I also wouldn't be afraid to speak to mortgage brokers for advice on mortgages and speak to accountants if you if you run a, a side business speak to money coaches like me speak to financial advisors because actually we're here to help we're here to answer those kinds of questions and it, yes there's a huge amount of information out there and sometimes you don't need to look at all of it but an expert can look at that and say right okay this is your your problem go to this website and have a look at that like step change for example if you've got problems with debt that's an excellent resource to go and use and you can actually call them and they'll give you an assessment about whether or not you need to go into a debt management plan or whether you can manage your debts yourself and it's just an excellent free service that you can access so it it's just reaching out and asking questions and, and being part of groups that are thinking along the same line so i've got my facebook group women working towards money freedom and in there we answer questions so if somebody's got a question about debt or they've got a question about um like the other day somebody had an accounting question like what accounting software should i use really simple questions but we're all able to give our input and say look here look here look here so it's there's no easy answer but it's finding someone you resonate with for the things that you want to to do and then following what that person says and then finding someone else for the next bit and you know you don't have to follow what one person does you can go out there and, and speak to a number of different people and, and then formulate your own perspective yeah get a, a range of inspiration and a range mm. of resources and yeah that's what sounds like the sensible thing to do I think that's probably what I will be doing after the show yeah. today <laughs> <laughs> um so what are, you know we are um we have this looming cost of living crisis I say it's looming it's here isn't it we've got a cost of living crisis mm. um 
at the moment. Uh, what are your top tips for teachers who might be really starting to feel feel the pinch and, and the struggle because it's a hard one isn't it there's so many people in in professional jobs working really hard on good salaries that are really really struggling now um so have you got any top tips mm, oh it's a horrible situation to be in um and I really hope that this ends soon I don't know when but I really hope it does um I think it depends on what the issues are so if you've got debt I mentioned step change just get it sorted. The quicker you can get your debt sorted out, the better. If you're in arrears with companies, you can't pay bills, speak to the companies directly, say that you can't pay them, volunteer to pay something you can afford. It might be a tiny amount compared to what you actually have to pay. But a lot of businesses are set up knowing that that might happen to some people. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone and say, look, I can't afford my gas bill. Can you help me do something about this? What can I do about it? How can I make this better? Um, the other things I would say is look at your expenses, like really look at them, because it's often that we think we're doing OK, but we might not really know that we're doing OK. So if you can trim your expenses back as much as you possibly can. So you've reviewed all your bills, you've made sure you're on the cheapest tariffs you possibly can be. You've had a look at your outgoings, you've reduced your grocery shopping down. Perhaps you have to change to a different grocery shop um, to, to be able to save that money um, start putting aside tiny amounts to save if you can you know having a little bit of a nest egg having something like that set aside is always handy if you need it in emergencies um and just keep persevering with that if you're finding that you really are at a point where you've cut everything down to the bone you really can't do it and you've got not enough money coming in then you have to ask yourself well what am i going to do in this situation do i need to have a side hustle to start bringing some income in do i need to do some you know as a teacher there's lots of things you can do uh, in, tutoring um, on the side absolutely. exactly yeah. exactly and i know people shouldn't have to do that and and i get people roll their eyes at me when they say i say things like that but if you have to you have to you know yeah. it's like you've got to you've got to do it just temporarily just to get yourself through this period and then hopefully things will get better in the end um and it, it might be that you have to make some big decisions about your living arrangements. If you're living in London, can you move away from London? I mean, I appreciate as a teacher, you might not want to do that. You might be in a lovely school and you might love what you do. But sometimes we do have to make these that, difficult decisions. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to have to think about. But London is expensive to live in. You know, a lot of the major cities are. Um, like we we made the decision. It's not quite on the same scale, but we decided we had two cars. We've, we've just got rid of one of them. We've just decided we, we're switching it to um, like a hybrid type one as well. So we save money on tax and we save money on uh, petrol and things like that with it. Yeah, OK, some weekends we hate it because one yeah, of us you have to have make a decision. And... Yeah, that somebody can drive it and someone. Exactly. But, can't. you know, you do have to sometimes have to make these horrible, horrible choices. And yeah, we might have to do this temporarily until things get better or except that you have to start bringing more money in in order to be able to make that, that happen. So, yeah. <laughs> Such great advice, Dr. Nikki. Thank you so much for um, coming here today and sharing these, these gems of advice with us. Um, mm. And um, if you've been listening today and you've liked what Dr. Nikki has said, you can find her on, where can they find you? So most most sites I'm at FemaMoneyDoc. My website is thefemamoneydoctor.com. 
Um, I've also got a podcast called Women, um, I keep saying that, Facebook group is Women Working Towards Money Freedom, um, but the podcast is called the Money Medicine Clinic podcast, so I've got like 124 episodes on there at the moment, so there's lots oh, to Oh great, okay, lots back to get through. stuck in with. Yeah. yeah, exactly, so yeah, and it's not an easy time right now, so you know, reach out if there's anything I can do to help. Lovely, thank you, thanks so much Nikki, Dr Nikki. Thank you. Well, how useful was that conversation and um, lots of great tips there and, and lots to think about as well. I think I'm going to go away from this show today and go <laughs> and sit down with my bank account and do some serious calculations around my spending, my planning, my saving. Um, but also I'll be thinking about how I integrate those conversations around good financial habits into my teaching that I do because we all have a responsibility to our students to give them a well-rounded learning experience. So that was our conversation for today. If you would like to join the conversation, you can tweet or post on Instagram and you can use the hashtag TTRadio22. Uh, we'd love you to be involved in the conversation. And don't forget, over on Twitter, we are now hosting Twitter spaces as well. So there's always a really good conversation over there. So keep an eye on that if you'd like to be involved. Now, my next conversation will actually be two weeks from today because I'm actually on holiday next week. Nowhere too exotic, unfortunately, just the Suffolk coast with my husband and children. Um, but uh, two weeks today, I will be talking about colour blindness in the classroom, particularly in Key Stage 1, Key Stage 2, how to spot it, how to support it. I will be talking to some colour blindness charities. And uh, if you've got any personal experience in this field and you'd love to come on and talk about that, then please do get in contact with me. My email address is holly at hollysclassroom.com. And also, if you know anybody else who's had really um, uh, personal experience of this that might like to share that then please do get them to get in touch so that's it for me today the morning break on teachers talk radio i hope you found the show interesting useful and that you'll come and join me again two weeks today for my next conversation you've been listening to teachers talk radio Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.